Hey everybody, I'm Robert Yerby, and I'm an insurance professional, and admittedly, kind of an insurance nerd. My friends and family tell me that nobody is going to want to listen to a podcast about insurance, so instead, on this show, I'm hoping to share a story or have a conversation with a guest about some relatable experience, and then show you how insurance impacts that story or topic. My hope is you'll enjoy a few laughs with me and maybe learn at least one interesting thing about insurance along the way. Here we go. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Robert. Uh, thanks for uh, joining the podcast here. I don't always have a guest, but uh, this week I do have a guest. I have a very special guest, actually, uh, Hadley Doyle from SMU. She is a D1 tennis player and not just any D1 tennis player. Hadley, you are the tennis player of the year in your conference. Is that right? Yes, that is right. Well, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. I, I will admit, I like to say that I'm a college sports fan, but I, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about college tennis. So I tried to do a little homework on you. Okay? I watched a few clips of you playing, and I saw a few interviews prior to, uh, I think it was conference championships. And, and while I don't know a ton about tennis, uh-huh. I, I think I took one semester class in college, uh, I could tell you're pretty darn good at tennis. Thank you. I appreciate that. So um, I did a little homework, but I, I guess maybe I didn't get all the way to the end. How did you guys, how did the team end up doing in uh, the conference tournament? Yeah, so we ended up finishing pretty strong. We kind of struggled throughout the year a little bit, kind of getting over the hump. And then towards the end of the year, right before conference, we had a really good win over San Diego, which they were ranked 25 at the time. So that was a top 25 win. And that kind of helped us going into the conference tournament. And once we got down to conference, it was our just whole memo was just like, take it, you know, one match at a time, one day at a time. And, you know, that's what we did. And it was such a fun experience. We ended up winning the entire um, tournament and beating Central Florida in the final. And for us, that was, that was a huge win because, you know, they've, they've beat us for, Oh, as long as, as long as I've known. So that was a huge win. And to take the championship with that, that was just such an awesome um, experience to be a part of. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, uh, you know, I, I haven't played a lot of organized sports in my life. Um, Slow pitch softball as an adult, you know, in a beer league and stuff like that, but I love team sports. And I, and I noticed you spoke a lot about team in your interviews and that's very cool you know tennis seems to me like it's a very individual sport but i got a very team vibe from you yeah i think it's interesting because like when you're in juniors you know like middle school high school you're playing all these tournaments and it's individualized like it's just you and to be good it's all on you there's really no team aspect of it so i think it's completely different in college and having to transition to that team network is it's a big change because I wasn't really used to it like my freshman and sophomore year because if you win that's great but if the team doesn't win then you know it really doesn't matter if you had your individual win so I think that's a huge difference like transitioning from you know junior tennis um, when you're younger into something more in college and that kind of applies to any sport golf tennis it all 
kind of depends on the team um, in college sports. Yeah, yeah. How's life at FMU? I love it. It's, you know, right in the heart of Dallas. So definitely a fun city. And I live about 30 minutes outside. So all my family is like right in the area. So that's definitely nice to have everybody close and being able to attend all of the matches and, you know, the education, of course, is it's a bonus. And I'm coming back for my fifth year and getting my master's next year and finishing off my last year of eligibility. Ah, cool. Well, I'll admit my, my Texas geography wasn't very good. So you say uh, SMU's in the Dallas area. I guess I didn't realize that. Uh, I have been to Dallas a few times, and the last couple of times actually has been for college sports. So I'm, so I'm a Michigan State guy. We played in the Cotton Bowl, and maybe you'll remember this because I see that Baylor helmet behind you. Uh, we came back in the Cotton Bowl to beat Baylor. Uh, January 1st, 2015. I don't know if you've wow. seen anything, but I was there. I was there. Exhilarating. <laughs> right in Dallas. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Michigan State, it's it's quite cold up there. It, well, it is. It is. Thankfully, I don't live there anymore. I'm talking to you from Phoenix. <laughs> well, yeah, Phoenix, that's that's the way to go. All right, so... You'll have to forgive me. I, I don't know the, the path of a uh, D1 tennis player, how that kind of plays out. But do you anticipate playing tennis professionally? Um, That's never really been my dream. Like I play um, pro tournaments like in college, like in the summers, like there's one in July that um, potential I'll be getting a wild card into. But that's never really been my goal, I would say. I love the college aspect side of it, but I'm also very like motivated to be successful in the real world and, you know, kind of work in the corporate world. So that's never really been on my radar. I would say, especially in tennis, there's no money in it. Like you're not, most people you're breaking even or losing money. So for me, that's, it's just like a tough tough decision to make, you know, to, to go and like lose some money. That's, that's not me. So not really, not really my plan. I, I'm enjoying my few years in college and then the plans to get out in the corporate world after. Is, that, is, is it maybe a thing to like go hustle people at country clubs, you know, like lay down a couple of matches and then, you know, say, Hey, maybe we should play for a couple hundred bucks. No, that's not really a thing. I mean, I wish it was, that would be nice. But, um, I think country club coaching and a lot of the coaching stuff is really like more of the gig you get into. And I've definitely thought about going into college coaching. So that might be on the radar. We'll just kind of see what opportunities align um, once I graduate. I was sort of imagining like a, a white man can't jump, but on a tennis court. <laughs> you know, or Woody Harrelson, you know, I don't know if you saw that movie, but like he plays kind of the dopey looking white guy. But he can actually like rain threes and No, I have I haven't seen that movie. Well, check it out, check it out, check it out. Him and Wesley Snipes, they take people for a lot of money in the basketball court. Oh. All right, I'll check it out. All right. So I don't know how you feel about playing tennis at SMU for free. I maybe you don't think of it that way. I mean, like you're on scholarship. Am I right? Right. Okay. So mm, maybe. I'll, I should ask you, do you feel like you play tennis in college for free or do you recognize the value of what it is they're giving you? Definitely the value. I think that's the part, especially when you're talking to people 
they're like, oh, like you're getting your college for free. And it's like, yes, but I mean, you know, there's a lot going into that, like investing in the training beforehand that's, you know, adds up over the years. And I think also, you know, they're paying for my education, but I mean, my schedule, they, they run my schedule. I, I, you know, like it's a full-time job. I like to say, like, you don't have a say when practices, if you, you know, they say be there at, you know, 6am Saturday morning, you have to be there at 6am. Like, so yeah, when people, when people say, oh, you get your education for free, it's like, yes, but you also work a lot, you know, for it. But yes, it's such a like nice gig. You're getting, you know, your education paid for. And on top of that, in women's sports to make it, um, equal to the men's, you're getting a stipend each month to help with like your apartment and all of that. So that's definitely been a nice add on. Yeah. That beats washing pots and pans at the cafeteria. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've talked to some, um, I'm thinking of basketball players, but, um, some of them have had the attitude that they're playing for free at, at school. And I guess setting aside, you know, the value of the education and whatnot, those players had the idea that they were going to turn pro. And so this was, they were just kind of biding their time in college until they were eligible for the draft and then could make, you know, real money. Right. So while the, the players that I've actually spoken to, the, eh, they're not the best examples of this, but there are some football and basketball players that have great potential to be first round draft picks and make tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars. And when they go back to school for their senior year, they take a risk, right? That they might get injured playing basketball or playing right. football and not then be able to play professionally. I don't know if that's a, a risk that you guys talk about in tennis. Maybe that, maybe that doesn't really translate, but just by virtue of being a D1 athlete, I think you probably see that that is a risk. And I, and I think in doing my homework, I saw that you had an injury, right? Yes. Yeah. Tell me about that real quick. So I just had like over the years, it was just basically one of those injuries. It's just like worn down. It was my um, bicep and my labrum and my shoulder. And just I, my freshman year, like of college, it just got so bad. Like, it was like miserable to play. It was just like excruciating pain. So I ended up getting it operated on, um, had my bicep reattached and then have my torn labrum fixed. So definitely it ended up helping more um, than hurting. So I was definitely blessed to be able to get that fixed. But yeah, as an athlete, I can completely understand, especially the basketball and football those you know, when they're looking to go in the, into the draft, it's definitely more of a risk for them to stay and, you know, play another year. Whereas tennis, I would say, it's probably not really that risky. Most people, most of the really good girls on tour playing professionally, they don't even go to college. And then, you know, you get the girls who are top in college and they go pro. But other than that, it's more of you go before college, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, the NCAA, they have a, a disability insurance program for those basketball players, both men's and women's basketball, football, hockey, and baseball. And basically they're recognizing that players are taking a risk. When, when they are performing at a level where they could be drafted and could turn pro, if they decide they wanna stay in college and play, 
the NCAA has a disability insurance program for them. Now, it's not like a, it's not a blanket policy for all athletes in that sport or those five sports rather. They have to purchase an individual disability policy for those particular qualified athletes. And it's, it's now become such a big thing that actually recruits will ask the school, hey, I'm a five-star recruit. I want to know that you guys will pay for this insurance policy for me when I get to that point. And yeah, I mean, the, the program's actually been around 30 plus years, but it evolves. And, and now it's to the point where the schools pay for the insurance premiums. Athletes are asking for it even before they commit. And teams like, like in Alabama, that football program, they have many athletes where they're paying those premiums for. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, for a football and stuff, that's, that's something like those athletes, I definitely think are like, that's a good thing for them to be looking out for, especially going into college because, you know, you know, like we talked about, like they're taking a huge, huge risk to play another year. And if they can have that policy, I don't blame them. No, I, no, I don't blame them at all either. And in Michigan state here and there, we've had some athletes that, you know, came back to school, Miles Bridges and basketball comes to mind. Um, they should have that protection. And and me as an alumnus, I don't have any problem with the school, you know, shelling out 70, 80, sometimes it's $100,000 for one year of insurance. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's wicked expensive. That's, cr- yeah, that's crazy. I did not know how expensive that was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. hundred grand is is like nothing anymore. Um, like a, a football player that gets a $15 million benefit potentially uh-huh. that they cannot play. Yeah, that's that's easily six figures. Holy cow. Yeah. But it's then it's a lump sum. Like that player will receive $15 million if they can't play professionally. Wow. So do they ha- so do like, you know, programs like Alabama say they have, you know, they have all those top guys those guys will make sure they have the policy before they even sign with Alabama at the get-go? Well, they're probably not going to get the policy, you know, as a freshman. Right. But they're asking for that commitment from the football program that they will be uh, afforded the insurance policies if certain things line up. Like in the NFL, you know, you have to be out of high school for three years. So they might know that, hey, you know, if I – if I reach certain metrics, you know, I want to know that in my sophomore and junior year, I'm going to have the insurance. Okay. So, you know, what are those metrics? Like, I, uh, if I'm a receiver, I get so many catches, so many yards. Um, if it's the quarterback, they might just say, hey, I have this many starts. You know, I want to get the insurance. And then, yeah, the Alabamas and the Ohio States of the world, they are committing to that. And it's, millions of dollars that they're spending every year on insurance for their players. Wow. And is that only for football? Is that basketball too? Well, basketball, I mean, you don't have near as many players to insure. So the the sheer dollars are lower, but yeah, there's definitely basketball players. Yeah. And, and it's the, it's the teams that you would expect that are paying those dollars. The, the Kentuckys and the Dukes in basketball, the Alabamas, you know, the USC's and Ohio State's of the world in football. Right, the Power Fives. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got the they got the money to spend it on that. They they do. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think it's great that those student athletes have that protection. And then, okay, so like your situation, you know, you you had an injury, sounds serious, but you know, you you went through the surgery, you rehabbed, and now you're playing. That happens too, right? Right. To football and basketball players, so they have insurance for those situations too. Maybe you got hurt and you didn't necessarily get hurt so bad you can't play, but well, now the NFL teams are looking at you a little more critically. And well, maybe you're not a first round draft pick with that particular, you know, labrum tear and bicep injury, uh, injury rather. Uh, maybe you're a third round pick. Maybe you're a fourth round pick. We're still going to take you, but you ain't making first round money. Now you're making fourth right. round. Right. And then millions of dollars. That's wild. That's so, crazy. So, yeah, the, the insurance will pay like the difference. You know, what would you have made if you were a first round pick versus now you're a fourth round pick? Yeah, that's I, I had no idea about that. So that's I mean, yeah, good for them that they can get that insured and get the money that they they're going to make. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for the rest of us, I mean, disability insurance doesn't really work like that. For most of us, uh, if we're going to be disabled to the point where we can't work, it's it's usually not accidents. Actually, it's usually an illness of some kind. You know, if you, get, if you get cancer and you're going through treatments, maybe you're, you're kind of out of work for nine months, a year. Most people can't go 12 months without working, obviously. So disability helps with that. Actually, I, I love insurance trivia. What do you suppose is the most common cause of disability in the United States? The most common disability? Yeah, what do you what do you think keeps people out of work the most in the United States? Mm. Either cancer or I'm gonna say maybe obesity. Like being yeah, I would say those are my top two. Well, those are, those are really good guesses. I mean, yeah, okay. if if you get cancer and it's aggressive, you mean you can definitely be out of work for a while. Actually, it's arthritis. Arthritis? Wow. Yeah. I believe it. That's a, that's a deadly thing. And it's painful. Well, most people don't die of arthritis, but I mean, it, it's definitely like debilitating in a way. Like, you, it can be hard to work depending on what your job is. Right. The fastest growing type of disability or cause of disability is mental and nervous disorders. So, like anxiety and depression. I'm I'm wondering if maybe that rings true. You being on a college campus, there's maybe a lot of people on um, Ritalin and uh, well different anxiety meds and stuff like that. Yeah, I think now nowadays that's more of a prominent thing, especially with the the medications for all of that, and I, they have a lot more like resources I see now on like college campuses for like mental things like anxiety and depression. So there's a lot of resources for for that and to kind of get you help before you go into the real world. And then I know now some corporate companies are also giving um, a lot of the employees that resource as well, which is kind of neat. Yeah, awareness is is big. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've not personally, you know, suffered with, you know, anxiety or depression, but many people that I care about 
you know have and yeah all all too common unfortunately right well i appreciate you joining me i i hope somewhere in there we had one interesting thing about insurance that might stick in your head yes definitely always learning about insurance and i think it's really good like for people in college and to kind of get educated on that because that's something you know now i'm kind of looking at you know at jobs like the policies to be looking for so always going to robert to ask questions about that type of stuff and just kind of being more aware of what to look out for well insurance is absolutely everywhere i'm i'm that annoying guy that uh, i see somebody riding a scooter around scottsdale and i'm like well he doesn't have a helmet on he also doesn't have insurance in case he hits a pedestrian uh, <laughs> a car or something seems really dangerous i don't know <laughs> Um, yeah, insurance is absolutely everywhere. Think about it before you rent a boat, before you let somebody borrow your car. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, Hadley, I'm going to be uh, rooting for the Mustangs all next year. I'll be what, checking my Instagram to see how you're doing. And uh, best of luck, okay? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the podcast. You're welcome. And anybody that uh, is listening that might be interested in insurance continuing education because you're a licensed adjuster or producer, check out our schedule at bmfce.com. Uh, give us a rating, uh, tell your friends, and we'll be back with another episode soon. Thanks again, Hadley. Bye.